0: Hey, welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares. I am leaning into my authoritative pose here for those of you watching on YouTube. If I lean back and cross my legs, I look like a toddler. Um, My name is Lisa Leith and I'm the host here and I'm co-hosted with Amy Conway and Beth Looney and we have a really fun guest. Can't wait to hear all your stories um, and fun experiences you're gonna share with us. This is Justin Robbins, he's my neighbor. He's my friend, <laughs> <laughs> neighbor, and friend. Uh, but he's also like an extraordinary speaker on CX, AKA customer experience. I think that's kind of a new term for anybody who doesn't work in customer experience. It's customer support, customer success, all mixed into one thing. It translates in all different industries. Um, if you don't know Justin robbins make sure you look him up on linkedin he's going to tell us how to get a hold of him at the end of the episode uh, but welcome thank you thank for coming you. it's
1: good to, to be here this is hr awesome.
0: nightmares welcome We're glad you're here
1: i've had many hr nightmares so this is most is people game. have
0: <laughs> you know that's like why we oh, at first when we started doing hr nightmares i think it's been almost two years ago now um people were like oh that's like a terrible name for a podcast it sounds so negative negative. and i'm like yeah but that's what everybody like that's the reason why yeah. i started the business in the first place it was because everybody had an hr nightmare and they were coming to me to solve them and so it was like you know what i'm gonna start to get paid for this yeah. so that's why we started the podcast it was like come get some free advice on your hr nightmares and, um, you know, we, we love solving people's problems. We are HR experts. We're not your HR expert, but we'd love to be your HR expert. So, um, again, the ladies here from Leith HR Group. And um, why don't you fully introduce yourself? Tell us where you're at now with 8x8 and, like, what you're doing, what you're up to, where you're speaking, how we, how we find you, and how you landed on this journey in this seat.
1: Totally. Uh, so I've always thought of myself as a bit of a customer experience mutt. And uh, I've I've told the story a bunch, but it it all started, so I was 12 years old, I had a paper route. I got a call from my boss and she said, how would you like to earn some extra cash in the evening? I'm thinking, sure, what do I have to do? She said, just show up up at the newspaper, we'll explain it from there. Walked in, there was a giant stack of dot matrix printer paper with the name, address, and phone number of everybody in my hometown. And as a 12 year old, I got cash under the table to interrupt people's dinner times and try to sell newspaper subscriptions. (laughs) So the story starts there. And uh, fast forward, look. I I have been fascinated with what it takes to understand and serve customers really well. And I've been fortunate to do that inside of organizations leading contact centers or, or front of house service teams and a bunch of different things that is all this moment where everything a brand promises and wants and says and dreams and desires, it happens or it doesn't because all of those promises are fulfilled or not by one individual in one moment of time, right? So start it there got into training and consulting and working with teams around the globe on this this big this big idea of what does it mean to define a great experience? And, and it might be for a customer, it might be for an employee, it might be for a patient, it might be for a constituent, right? What does that take? And, and got to do that, fell into research, and uh, was at a point where I was finally like, look, I've, I've run customer experience teams, I've gotten to teach customer experience teams, technology is a big part of what they do and uh, for the better part of five years, have, have worked with a number of technology companies, including right now, eight by eight, uh, working with our customers, our partners, our, our sellers, our marketers, trying to just really understand what is shaping this idea of customer experience. And you said it's a lot of things, and it's uh, even for people who do CX, often it's very confusing to them. They don't know what they're yeah. doing. So how do we just understand what it means to define it, then once we define it, how do we deliver it? And once we deliver it, how do we figure out whether or not it's having impact? That's probably the easiest way I can describe what this journey's been. Um, but as you mentioned, it, it's, it's honestly just a lot of traveling and being with people and helping them figure out who are they serving.
0: Yeah. And
1: how do they how do they go after serving them well? Yeah.
0: So customer experience. Yeah. I mean, like you come from Nordstrom, the yeah. ultimate customer experience.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, I was going to ask you. So I worked, you know, for almost 20 years at Nordstrom. And so our whole life was customer experience, we had customer experience teams. That was what we based our business on. Right. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we always knew was a, the customer was number one and B it's an ever changing environment. Right. And so it's one of those, you set a roadmap of what you're going to do and then it shifts because you get different feedback from customers. It's like, hey, you're not on track, right? And the customer just changes so much. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing in the current market of what you're doing around, what are the biggest things from a customer experience? What are people asking for? What What are the couple of key trends that people are defining as a great customer experience?
1: <laughs> uh first off nordstrom great example of extreme ownership there's a story are you probably the tire story uh somebody That's brought a, yeah. tires in it's true it's a great story it was that researched it was really true. embellished over time yeah. <laughs> well, let's hear it so the short version is somebody uh brought tires to return to a nordstrom and nordstrom has been known for very customer-centric policies uh brought them and of course nordstrom has never sold tires at any point uh they accepted the return uh it as you mentioned, has been embellished over time. A Nordstrom was built where a tire store used to be. He was convinced that he had gotten them there. He did at the building, but anyway, interesting example of extreme ownership, which actually segueing into this idea of trends. Um, one of the, the biggest trends right now, before we talk about technology or process is really trying to figure out where does ownership of the customer belong? Because you've got these different parts of a business for, from a CX standpoint. You've got marketing who's often responsible for creating promises for what a customer experiences. Of course, you've got operations who deliver on those promises, um, but, but then there's a massive just kind of rift right now is if we think about the people side of CX, so often you've got individuals who never aspired to be in this role. Uh, it's often uh, very um, just like not well compensated. It's often um, just viewed in, in a very insignificant way. Uh, so of course there's this this like challenge of what do we what do we do with those people do we bring in technology and do we like those people don't do a good job or whatever all the negative you know kind of ideas are around it do we do we elevate their role well if we elevate their role we're gonna have to pay them more they're gonna do more complicated stuff in theory it's really great but from something that's often entry level and very transactional I mean that has a ton of implications on staffing and hiring and, and a whole like So one challenge right now is who owns the customer because who owns the customer defines what we do with technology and people and process. So that's one of the big trends is like where does it actually live in an organization? Uh, Some organizations have a chief customer officer. Very few actually do. And even when they do, that person isn't responsible for the whole life cycle. They might be responsible for things like net promoter scores or surveying or things like that, but nothing bigger. Um, Second technology, of course, is around, you know, we've probably all... Uh, sitting on these couches or, or watching or listening to this have played with chat GPT and what's going on with generative AI. Um, it's. I, I use the example recently. Of, I've been with a bunch of leaders. The question's asked, what are you doing with generative AI? And most people aren't. Everybody's trying to figure out what it, what it could do, um, but they're not actually doing with it. So what happens with AI and automation is a big one. Um, the third, and it, and it always has been in CX, is this just like, what do we do in terms of employee engagement and um part of the business that always has really really high turnover I mean, how, how do we address this problem we've talked about it as an industry for as long as i've been part of it and yet numbers only seem to be getting worse not better
2: yeah
1: um so that to me is a perpetual trend where it's like, well, what do we do there
2: people are getting worse not better so it's hard they're the ones that deal with people and it's not easy i i mean that's just the truth of it it customers are getting more challenging you know even in the businesses that shorter. we support and work with and you know clients are getting more difficult owners are get it's just the environment is just changing a little bit and it's not a super big surprise that you know the people that take all of that feedback and are doing all that transactional stuff at the front line it's not an easy job and you're right they don't get paid that much in order to be handling people on the other end the phone usually not being very happy when they're yeah, talking yeah, the to them is
3: that they kind of sort of just land into that position right it's not maybe i'm generalizing but it doesn't seem like a lot of frontline people would be like oh this is what i want to. this is what my goal aspiration is how many
0: high school kids have you talked to about like hey this is a career that you could go into customer support yeah it's no. not
1: it's on it nobody's vision right. zero a, no <laughs> vision boarding <laughs> on this idea so got that
2: are just i'd like love to work there. at that call center yeah i mean no. seriously
3: and then all of a sudden, no, they're the ones that are holding But it's such a critical job
2: because it is the front line yeah. of customer service. So yeah, it's, it is it's a so, critical it's job. It's so
1: interesting um, because, yet yeah, nobody aspires to be there. And so when I think about how, how did people land there, I think about uh, employees like Haley, who Haley had just gotten her education degree and no schools were hiring. And after we brought her on board, I, I asked everybody, I was like, hey, what is it that brought you here? Like, what is it that brought you here? And she's like, well, Justin, I, I just... You were hiring and I figured this would work until I found a real job, daggers. I think about Scott who after a 30 year year career in radio, best phone interview I ever did, he was an on-air talent. (laughs) After 30 years and radio stations going to nationally syndicated shows, Scott lost his job. And so he didn't know and so it was a place for him to land. Or somebody who said, hey, I've got a marketing degree and I I love your brand, I wanna be a part of your business and I think the best way to do that is to understand your customer. It's not not where anybody aspires to be Mm So many people land there, but increasingly, organizations are recognizing, hey, this is this can be a strategic part of our business if we leverage it in the right way. So I, I don't think it's your actually P- Purdue University, the only college that I've found uh, in the globe that actually has a program around contact center. Uh, but no, it's not. People just land yeah. there.
2: Yeah. Well, it's funny because I mean, that's what i said when i started working for nordstrom and then 18 years later i was leaving nordstrom right so that's the story of if you go and you pull all the great leaders of nordstrom and ask them how they entered into the company it was always like well i'm going to do i'm going to sell because you always start with selling right you have to the customer's number one on the pyramid then the salespeople are number two so you got to learn that job We all, that's what everyone would say. And those are the people leading the organization are like, well, I just did this until I got my real job or I found something else or I started in summertime. So a lot of that was just about the company and the culture and the environment there. And people stuck around. Like my 18 years was an average. That was not a a phenomenon to be there for 18 years. That was an average of what people were there. But I think that what I look at from customer, I remember... The nature of that business has changed a little bit, so the teams have changed in the setup. But the customer service team that used to work when we had like customer service kind of centers in all of the stores, um, those were the best, some of the best people in the store. And many times, those people started on the selling floor somewhere. They maybe preferred the more, the less sales part of it, but they were great at the customer service side. But they weren't as strong of like just competitive selling and stuff. Um, And then we moved them into customer service and they actually did earn a lot higher hourly rate than a lot of the other support departments in those store locations because that was a really critical job because if the customer was bypassing the sales team and going to customer service, there was usually some kind of a problem, right? So that was kind of the middle ground between like the sales team that was one-on-one with customers and management getting involved. But, and a lot of times they detracted all that and I didn't have to go out there and solve the problem because they were so great. But it was important that we paid them for the value of what they did.
0: So we all acknowledge that no one wants to get into customer support. Um, Sometimes people end up there, but like we also appreciate that they're they're in critical roles and they're the face of the company and the brand of the company to our clients when they're in a bind usually. So, like, what is the future of elevating customer experience or customer support roles? Like, what's the right thing to do to make to attract the right people and make sure that they're trained up and going to give your customers the experience you've visioned for your own company? Like, how do we do that? Where do we start? Paying them is one thing, but um, how do we let them feel like their job is just more than... T- solving tickets or like volume of tickets and, um, and they can have like a really good relationship with the company.
1: Yeah, um, so answering that question, I think goes back to an earlier statement that was made about people are getting worse. Um, <laughs> what what I've what I, what I seen happen is, is a few things. One, all of us as consumers, patients, employees, it doesn't matter we have better access to more information than we ever had. And that, that's only accelerated. So our awareness and understanding and ability to help ourselves has only increased. And I'll speak for myself in this one, but my tendency when I do that is believe that I know the best way of what's for me and then any other expert, there's no way they could have researched as good as I have. Um, turns out that's not the case. But we as humans fall into that, right? We're like, I can figure this out for myself. So that's it. So number one, that just understanding, I think has gotten elevated. Second, the tools that are available, if you think about all of the ways, what what I think is complex about customer experience, it's not just about the contact center, but it's every interaction a customer has with a brand, right, and how they feel about those things. And that happens across so many channels or modalities, right? You're on your cell phone, texting with someone about something, you're on a website, you are hanging out in their store, like whatever it is. So people who now know more, but are interacting with brands in a way that for us, we just think of it as Nordstrom's or whatever, but there's a ton of technologies and teams that are often very disparate and very disjointed. And we've all been in a situation where you have to repeat yourself or one person tells you something and somebody else tells you something else. So the disparity of information and knowledge is, is at an all-time high. People are more aware, things are more disparate, and more complex, and more complicated. So now let's get to that employee, because what does it mean to elevate them? The, the first thing that we've got to do is actually get our own house in order as businesses. Uh, every year, I survey a couple thousand uh, frontline uh, employees and supervisors in in customer-facing roles, outside of a bad boss, which is why you would expect most people leave. The second most common reason cited for somebody quitting their job or feeling disengaged or apathetic is because they don't feel like they've been given the tools or resources to actually be successful. I've got this customer who knows all these things, but, but they know before I do, or they're telling me they've said this, but I don't have any visibility into what they said to who. So, from a house and order standpoint, like, that has to happen first. I think organizations need to look at their processes, they need to look at their systems and their strategy around how do we understand and serve customers, because that doesn't matter. You could, it's actually only going to get worse if you pay someone more or get someone more, more uh, kind of knowledgeable or effective in navigating complex and nuanced situations, and you still give them crappy tools like bad. That. So, that, that piece has to happen first. The second, I always think about this problem in terms of, like, every single one of us em- as employees are thinking about four things, right? Uh, uh, what, what do I get for joining this organization? And, and especially in contact centers, they're, they're thinking about what are my hours, what is my comp, what are my benefits, right? All of those types of things. What are the tools I have available? Then they're also trying to understand what, what, um, what can I give? And again, people that, uh, that I've always met that come into these customer uh, experience types of roles, like they are wired to help. They're wired to serve, like they want to understand how they're gifting. And, it's, and it may not be a degree, but it's a passion or it's a desire to, to see people be successful or see them uh, not be frustrated or upset. Like, how, how can I apply that to my job? And often organizations delay in employee's ability to actually do that when they're in a CX role. The, the third thing then is is trying to understand. So it's, it's what do I get? What do I give? Um, it's, it's, do I belong? And again, I'm trying to think about like, how do we get these employees to that place? We have to figure out like, hey, I never aspired to be here. So I'm automatically, I've got this pre, pre-wiring to say like, I never saw myself here. Nobody talks about it in college. So my my belief going in is that I don't belong here. So again, part of what I think we have to figure out as, as leaders is how do we, how do we create that sense of belonging? And it's not just about, Uh, parties or one-on-ones but like actually connecting to like no this is a meaningful organization or a meaningful team and then to me it's answering the questions of like how do we grow right that that I believe is like if I've got somebody who can come into organization and say like oh I want to be a part of making this thing bigger and better than myself like awesome it's got to begin with system and process and then get really clear around you've got somebody who now is going to be even smarter who doesn't want to still they still don't want to be here doesn't matter that the the easy stuff is gone they're still wrestling with all of these things.
3: Well, do you ever think that they need to have more of a understanding of why their particular job, why when they're there for eight hours in the day, how that will benefit the company? I think sometimes that conversation doesn't happen to the, that group. I worked at a call center once. Yeah. I was the HR manager at yeah. the call center, and they didn't really understand what
2: what their impact what, was,
3: or, what they were doing the value, was like, integrating into the final, for the whole reason of being
1: there. Not sometimes, most of the time. Yeah, yeah.
2: It was really yeah. So <laughs> I would try to be like,
3: this is important, but you know.
1: Think about, think about how we reinforce this. So we've got these core values or vision, whatever mission that we like, corporately, we, we put that out there. Now, if I'm working in the contact center, what is, what is my attachment to that? Because here's what happens. I am measured on, I have quality assurance, right? I, we've all heard your call may be monitor for quality assurance purposes. So I've got a form of things that they're hoping happen in, inside of that interaction that have nothing to do necessarily with our, our core values or our purpose or our mission. Exactly. They have to do with this interaction. Okay, well, maybe I have one-on-ones or I have coaching or I have an annual evaluation. My, my observation in most organizations, contact center employees, they're only touched to those corporate values are if they're aligned to an annual review process then if i'm the manager or supervisor every year i am backing into oh we've got this value that selfless spirit of service uh what were all the things on the quality form or on this that were selfless like like no i don't feel i don't feel attached to that at all in any way shape and or and you're just
3: punching it you're yeah I'm in i'm out it doesn't matter because i don't really matter People yeah
2: don't think that I, matter here. Well, I think like at Star, i think the one thing why we succeeded and now I have a really hard time being the customer because I have Nordstrom expectations of service, which is just unreasonable for everybody else. Um, but one of the biggest values, you know, we were customer obsessed. That was the number one value, you know, obviously. And why we were is cause we were empowered. We empowered everyone to say yes. I'm like, You don't need my permission to make that customer happy. That means you have to give away something for free, not charge that. Whatever you need to do, I mean, use good judgment, obviously. But we empowered, and why I get frustrated now on the customer end is because I'm like, you know, I know that if I called into the call center at Nordstrom.com and something went missing, or like I was kind of challenging them one day because. I sent two returns and they only returned one item. I'm like, trust me, the other item was in the box. Like, do you want to look up my history with company? Like, I'm trustworthy. I'm not trying to take advantage. I still own a lot of stock in the company. (laughs) I'm not trying to rip you off here. You know, so it was one of those. And you know, that person on the other end of the line, no problem. I'll go ahead and credit. What was the other item that was missing? You know, no problem, right? That's normal. I go and challenge somebody else with something like that and it's like, well, I have to call this person and well, I can't do that. Well, I have to put a ticket in. I have to research. I'm like, none of that is my problem you fix this i called you you're on the other end of the phone that's where i'm, well, ba- that's I'm very nice i'm not as mean as i'm customer. saying now because i have yeah. empathy for that job but are having,
3: they are but that's why yes
2: because then you have people out there where it's like you have some that understand it's not just Nordstrom that gives that kind of service right there's a lot of
3: Patagonia. yes
2: there's a lot of places out there that give that kind of service to the customer like take care of the customer but then when you have other places that don't that's why people on the receiving end get yelled at, right? But you've got it, these companies have got to empower the people that are taking those phone calls. And taking care of the customer to actually take care of the customer. Because
1: that's the thing okay. that that employee wants to help you, but there is a process or policy. There's something right. getting in the way of their ability. And it is not the yeah. person you're and talking go, to. Like, you're, no, forget you. You're
2: going to get yelled at every time the minute you go, well, our policy, oh, just welcome the screaming and going on on the other end.
3: It's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. No, no one wants to time. go like, to
2: work to get yelled at all day. Yeah.
3: Okay, can I ask you a question since you're go. the guru? What drives me really crazy? This is so awful. <laughs> but you know when you talk to someone and they're like, okay, I'm going to have to transfer you, and then you go, you're transferred, and then you have to repeat the entire thing? Yeah, I think go But that- you heard them typing it in. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Like, do they not see the notes? I just was transferred with all of this information, and it's starting off from square one. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that offline if this Mm -hmm. is not appropriate for HR nightmares. No, this is
1: is real life. This is the struggle. This is the The CX struggle. Um, So, so part of it is they're operating off of different systems of record. So the person you're talking to did make notes, so that if anybody inside of their department or there's lots of reasons that can happen, but within their system, like. There is that piece there. Um, this is this is actually a common conference topic because it's happening with self-service a lot. People are using chat and the same thing. Like the chat system is different than the phone system, uh, but often it's you've got different systems of record, uh, or you've got somebody who is just kind of rushing to like get you engaged and and whether through training or process or whatever, otherwise like they're they're it drives everybody nuts. It drives the people inside of the organization's nuts. Yeah. Um, this is, that's a, if I were to say like, what are one of the like arch overarching themes from a strategy standpoint that if you attend, like if you all were like, Hey, let's end up hanging out at hang a CX conference, that idea of, um, knowing the customer and being able to like maintain, uh, context throughout that's, that's something a lot of organizations are thinking about, they struggle just because of system disparity.
0: Let me give you a perfect example. So, um, like in our software company, we have the implementation consultants or the project managers that basically go to the client and say, I'm gonna show you how to use this software. I'm gonna put all your data in it. It's gonna take five months, but at the end of five months, you're gonna be live, okay? Well, they're communicating with the new client over email, Outlook, okay? Mm-hmm. When the client goes live, Then we start using Zendesk to log customer support tickets and churn zero to basically capture all the notes about that client. Well, it would have been nice if like implementation had been using Zendesk and or churn zero and like that's on our project list of to-dos, right? As a growing software company, but it is a problem because a lot of the training issues that maybe the new client had during onboarding, the customer success manager that's now going to be their proactive relationship account manager has no history, right? Because you can't pull all that stuff from Outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is
1: a so legit. It's, it's legit. They're not, they're not just sticking. They're not you. just
2: trying to make your life frustrating. Yeah.
0: Doesn't but it feel like that though sometimes, just know but again, like none of this, this
2: is the like customer's it. problem, right? Yeah. So if you're the customer on the other end, I would be like, We'll get your stuff in order. That's not my problem. I still yeah. need you to solve my problem. Yeah, go is, back and listen to the work. recording, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Or I'm missing this or whatever, right?
3: HR is um, payroll platforms.
0: Oh Lord, I, yes. Uh, That's I, that. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that is the worst.
0: Yeah, they they must pay their people terribly. They I mean, every to pay single you're like, payroll I platform.
3: Say this exact thing again, okay? Yeah. You know, and then you're just getting matter and matter, and then you're looking on the side. What other companies can I hire? To take care of booting you guys out the,
0: but software transitions are painful mm-hmm. right and so there's a whole change management component to that that's like i just don't want to deal with it like i'll just keep dealing with the shitty customer support that i'm getting so you can always request a credit <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> just a little tip for just you. a little tip
3: <laughs> so do you so when you're working with your customers yeah. or clients do you look at some of the maybe exemplary um companies that have had excellent, like what? Which ones? Because Nordstrom, obviously, we know about, but what are some of the other ones that you feel have exemplary? So here's here's That's
1: Yeah. So yeah. here's here's what's interesting about this. So I'm gonna like compare uh, two to different things that for this example. So have any of you ever been to a Dick's Last Resort?
2: Yeah, I hate no. that yes.
1: place. What's the point of Dick's Last Resort? I it pissed don't, you off. They make fun of you. They write I things. I hate that place. They throw things Terrible. At you.
2: What did they put
0: on your hat? Oh,
2: I don't remember. <laughs> it was so I was young and I was with my parents and I'm like, this is so inappropriate. I don't pay you money so you can be mean to me.
0: Like, we need to get I somebody from like Dick's like Last Resort oh, on here.
2: Like Why I do
0: people like oh, that? Yeah.
2: I don't know. People I don't know. Right?
1: But that's that's a restaurant and that's a that's a that's a customer experience that they terrible. Ball. they set like that's that's their entire focus right and
0: they franchised it yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not
1: only that but they, they franchised it right what do I do there though I, I go and I have dinner and that my customer experience is like very different where is if we were to, to walk somewhere here in downtown Wilmington and we were to try to think about like one of the nicest restaurants here and it's like I want you know, white white linens, I want fresh tables on the flowers. Like it's still it's still a dining experience. It's a it's a different and neither of them are right or wrong. For Dick Last Dick Slash Resort, like that is that's a great customer experience for customers that want that type of experience. right <laughs> right so the, anyway my Just point is the challenge me. i have with your question <laughs> is not is, me this is no this is, to get you for
3: christmas actually i see what you're saying right <laughs> this is, oh, is the no benchmarking the track that it's like yes. oh that's well if, if i'm in too. this
1: industry i need to do this in this way and it's gonna be right but what matters more is that i understand who who are the customers that we're looking to serve what's our strategy as a business and how do we design something that meets our business goals which should then effectively please our customers or whatever. It would and be. so the
3: benchmarking, what you're saying is the benchmarking isn't as important as really understanding your customers. Yeah, you have to yeah, be willing to say like,
2: when a customer's upset, like there are moments where what they're upset about is like, honestly, they're not our target audience to begin with. So they probably didn't have a great experience, right? right? Like. I hate it. Dick's Last Resort. I didn't know before I went that that's what I was going (laughs) into. I would have never chosen that. I know I'm not a funny person. I don't enjoy that. I don't have a good sense of humor. You can get Gap, like
3: BP, or you can go to that Bucky's. Have you ever (laughs) been to Bucky's? Bucky's is a whole thing.
1: Holy smokes. Yeah, that's a totally different. I don't know what What that is.
0: Justin's family is oh. <laughs> more of a wall family like is. a no, family. family. Well, I mean we could talk about
1: it. I, oh I, I know Bucky's Wallace but my family has it's never been crazy. there and I have I almost did a one day we were looking for something to do I was like I know what we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna drive two hours each way and we're gonna experience Bucky's because what is that? I'm a customer it's experience a gas nerd station with like
3: 100 guests, but that's not it then you walk in it is how do you even explain it it's Chaos. It's, a so, yes, it's a gas station yes
1: but here's, here's here's a couple of things we need to understand it's not about a gas station though so what is what is one of the worst if you stop at a gas station what is one of the worst parts of the experience
0: going to the bathroom Pumping the, the gas?
1: bathroom they decided we're gonna I start, don't like, like, like we're gonna bath. start there first like I would probably eat a Bucky's uh, brisket taco off of the floor of their bathroom it is that clean They've got like I don't know
2: that I drive two hours for a clean bathroom though. I thought you (laughs)
1: were you weren't worried about me eating (laughs) the taco off the floor, but the drive's (laughs) but here's that so it's not and it's not about going out of your way for it, but that that was it. It's about designing an experience where they understand the importance of some of those conveniences and, and have done just very intentional decisions around what that means. And and you you mentioned this earlier of like it wasn't right for you and maybe it's not the ideal customer. Like that means that businesses have to say no to someone and I think yeah. part of the problem all of us face as customers is that businesses are trying to, to create an experience for everyone and as a result nobody wins.
2: Yeah. You can't. You have to narrow You have to be able to say like, I'm sorry. We did it. We're like, we offended all of our people that were probably over a certain age demographic because we're like, we're getting rid of all those departments. It isn't cool we're cool, like we're not doing that anymore. Let me
0: ask you this, like, so what about, so giving everyone the same customer experience is basically unacceptable because you've got different markets that you sell to potentially. I'm thinking selfishly, um, you know, at Vanica, we sell to professional size markets, which, you know, are smaller kind of group of users, like smaller companies. And then we sell to enterprise and strategic accounts, which are much larger with hundreds of users or whatever um the way that we treat them should be different or might be different like some may prefer self-service maybe it doesn't even matter the size of the accounts maybe it's just their communication preferences what region of the united states they live in like how they communicate internally within their own company like they may prefer self-service over um talking to a person or they may prefer zendesk or email over um self-service so I guess what I'm asking you is like, how do you determine whether or not you create different experiences for your customers or if you stick to one customer experience for everybody?
1: Yeah, loaded question, Lisa. Um, I mean, look, that's a big part of your, like your strategy as an organization is around like, what do we want to be known for? Uh, I think about travel, uh, you know, that's that they've made like an entire thing out of loyalty and we all like, some of us to the point like, I was talking to a friend who just did a mileage run because they didn't want to lose the level of service that they get as a result of their status. And, that is hilarious. They right,
2: literally got on a plane and went through an airport and took a flight just to get status. I've done they this in the past too. That is hilarious. But, that, but, that,
1: <laughs> so, but part of that's saying like, hey, we know. And and there are things that you can do to, to try to figure this out. And, and maybe it's recognizing that um, we're trying to drive Higher lifetime value out of these these customers, or we yeah. know they automatically have a lot li- lifetime value. We might know that hey, maybe that customer themselves doesn't spend a lot of money, but based off of who they are, they're really good at attracting. You know, four to one in terms of our other customer bases aren't as good as being promoters or whatever it would be. So maybe you want to invest there. Um, it could also be kind of to the complete opposite, saying like, hey, everybody gets the same level of experience because we want to monetize higher levels of, of service. So there was one tech company um, a number of years ago that they intentionally made every customer wait on hold for at least an hour. And the entire time you were listening to a service that, hey, for an additional fee, press one uh, to pay an additional fee and you can talk to somebody immediately. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it was part of their strategy. I don't know how it worked for them or not. I never looked at their books, but that, that t- anyway. It's a strategy. It's a long-winded way of saying like, it, it it just depends on, what like what what are the advantages or disadvantages to you in terms of treating everyone the same or treating everyone different?
2: I think when you think of like treating everyone different, I think of more just like, in the general like sense of how they interact with our people when they do interact with our people, but also knowing that there needs to be a few different customer choices, knowing that there's a variety of needs too. So I always think of that too because. My old business, you know, we certainly had. We knew not everyone. It not everyone. walked in the door wanted a full a, a commissioned salesperson that outfitted them from head to toe. Did we provide that? Did we have personal stylists? Absolutely. But that some people just needed to do a quick and easy return, and so we stuck the service bars right in the middle of the first floor as they entered the store because it was speed and convenience. So it's like, but both of those people should have been nice friendly, welcome to our store, efficient with their store. You know, so it's like the human beings kind of have the same general ways of treating customers, but providing different experiences based on what they wanted. So that's, that's how I kind of think of, of it.
1: There, there need to be those non-negotiables, right? right? That's what that is too, yeah. non-negotiables. But whether you wait two minutes or you wait not at all, could depend, yeah. right? Or do I have a live person assist you, which is obviously a more expensive resource or to your right, point, do right. I have you help yourself?
0: Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some research that correlates employees being happy with customers being happy. I'm sure you have a lot Is of this thoughts on NPS this. your NPS thoughts? Yes. So um, right now we're neck deep in discussing Net Promoter Score and how to integrate Net Promoter Score into everything that we do, from the sales process to potentially, like, let's say, offboarding a client. Um, what you know and then of course that translates into employee net promoter score which is something that we started tracking about a year and a half ago Um, for those of you that don't know and you can correct me if I get this completely wrong but net promoter score is is basically a negative 100 to 100 kind of scale where you have detractors that take you into the negative and promoters that bring you into the positive and passive people that are like between, I don't know, whatever, right in the middle of a one through 10 score, they don't give you anything. So you really want people who are going to recommend your business to do business with the other people. Same for employees. The whole concept is you'd recommend, my company is a great place to work. Um, what are your thoughts? We kind of started to like a um, chit chat about this before the camera started rolling. We said, now let's save it because you, you had an interesting reaction. It's not one that I've seen. Um, when I mention NPS or net promoter score. So like talk to us about, we we care from an HR nightmare standpoint about the correlation between happy employees, happy customers. If it's, you know, is it net promoter score? And if it's not like, what is something else that we should be thinking about?
1: Let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So let's let's talk about a couple challenges with NPS, uh, the intent of NPS and is there a better way? Uh, so, so, first off, the uh, assumption with Net Promoter Score Survey is that uh, the person that I'm talking to uh, would, in fact, be a promoter of this product, right, first and foremost. And so I want to give you two examples of businesses that had to measure MPS and it came to bite them in, in the rear. Uh, first is I, I got a um, phone call a, a couple of years ago from a woman who worked for a business called Giddy. Okay? She was head of customer experience for Giddy. Giddy is a medical device that helps men with erectile dysfunction. She said, Justin, up. I've, oh. been asked, I've been up. asked, I've been asked
3: to measure ne- the murder you. score. Sorry,
1: that's an easy,
3: I'm in it. Right.
2: Shocker,
1: guys with ED don't want to talk about the fact that they are using a device to help with ED. Yeah. yeah.
2: You okay. should, you should poll their partner.
0: It's <laughs> not a bad idea.
1: Right. But." But yeah, right? <laughs> Promote because to your point, hey, there, there's a lot like this. Second, uh, I got a call from a friend of mine and they said, Justin, so we went and we put a new quality program in place and we put a new survey program in place because we wanted to try connect is what we believe like we're delivering as a great customer experience. Internally, do our customers perceive that as a great customer experience? He said, here's the rub. Internally, looks like we're doing all of the right things. Um, from a net promoter standpoint, we are not getting there from our customers, and, and we've spent some time listening and looking at interactions. That particular part of the business was responsible for calling people and telling them that they had been denied for their mortgages. Shocker, I'm not going to do it. So, so, first piece- Or if
0: I'm going to do it, I'm going to hit one, I hate you. Right. So, yeah. so
1: the first piece there is like, there's often a misapplication or it's too broadly applied across an organization where it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. That's that's the first challenge. The second challenge is actually around the number system. So uh, as Lisa mentioned, that you've got uh, promoters, you've got passives, and you've got detractors. And the, the scale, and this is actually the people who created Net Promoter Score, recognized that people were kind of misusing it in a number of ways. And in part, people don't actually, like, they could actually be promoters, but they fall somewhere within the passive category all too often. Um, just because of the number, rate, the the scale rating, right? So it's part of like, okay, people are thinking that. Second, organizations are just looking at the numbers, not paying any attention to the verbatims. There's a ton of value digging yeah. into the yeah. verbatims there. The bigger issue is this: I don't care what you say you'll do. What matters to my business is actually what do you do. And so gosh I, I I had a call similar to net promoter um, but it was actually around hiring someone and it was like what was the likelihood on a scale of one to ten that I would hire the representative that I spoke to if I ran a customer service team well fortunate for them I have run a customer service team but most people taking their survey haven't mm. and so that's an awful question because if you've never run a customer like I don't know what you care about from a customer like what are we doing um, so that's that's one of the the I guess the underlying things with net promoter is like a lot of people wouldn't actually like, they might love your brand, but they might not ever like tell somebody about it for a number of reasons. Right, so that's that's the bigger issue. The second then comes down to like, why are we actually doing this in the first place? Like, why are we actually measuring net promoter score? When I ask organizations like, what are they trying to achieve and how do they think net promoter score will help them there, get, help get them there? Often it's poorly articulated or there's a number of things that are way better. They might be trying to say, hey, we want to understand how difficult it is for our customers to do whatever, right? It's a very clear use case for trying to survey. Now you can say, OK, well, let's actually do something that's more applicable there. And that, I'll, then I'll step off my soapbox and let you all respond. But it's like, <laughs> surveys are really best suited if we have a really clear use case, and that is going to vary department to department, team by team, and one size fit all, which is what I feel a lot of organizations like are comfortable throwing M P S, in, like it doesn't actually do that. I think it makes a lot of people feel good when they walk into a boardroom and to, or to an, a meeting, but it's not actually moving the organization forward.
2: Yeah, or feel really bad when you look at it. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm like with you because obviously we used M P S with customers a lot. Uh, but so many of them, I'm like, you gotta throw these out. I go, they gave us like, you know, a four, whatever you would get on a scale, even if you scaled it one to 10, you know, you get a four. And then the comments are like, I love this place. You know, they don't match. There were so many surveys where the scores never matched the comments, and you're just like, people are just clicking through, and it was so broad. And I would say, I remember being a rack store manager, and I had the biggest store on the East Coast that had the number one percent of increase on the East Coast and i probably it was middle of the range in net it wasn't terrible but it wasn't great my nps but i was a busy busy store so customers had to wait in pretty long lines at that store but you know what they came in every day there was a line outside when i opened my doors every single day so i'm like you know what sales tells it all sales tells it all i have a great team of people i'm like screw this net promoter score i used to say to my boss i'm like don't call me about that anymore i'm like i'm not i'm not managing to nps okay but I was like, if you want to talk to me about how we can make the line more efficient and we can provide quicker and efficient service, I'm yeah. all for the surveys that tell me that. But I don't know what I need for that already. I just need more registers, more people, and that wasn't gonna happen. So oh. I was, So it was one of those that doesn't always tell you what you need to know.
0: Well you do need to keep a pulse on the customer experience somehow. So if not net promoter, then what? I was
3: gonna say, yeah, what would you recommend for another alternative?
1: Yeah, so, so for the customer experience, to me, it comes down to first defining, like, what are we hoping to learn or affirm or test or change right here, right now? And I would rather see organizations use a one to three question survey that is very focused, that runs for a period of time for a given customer segment, and that that be that be it. Like, I'd rather see you do 12 surveys in a year, but each month, you are getting meaningful insight on a specific initiative that you are moving things forward mm-hmm. than, than, than something else. So that, that that's the generic answer that I have. Yeah. The maybe more granular one is if, if I were running a, a customer service team or a CX organization right now, I would deploy surveys that help me clearly find the sources of friction that are happening between the people we serve and, and our business today. That, that's the things that I would look like. And, and there are, so customer effort uh, is a kind of a methodology that was put out by uh, a gentleman named Matt Dixon, if you're familiar with the Challenger sale or things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, he'd worked at, um, at uh, um, I'm not even, it's, I think HBR, I'm totally blanking now. Um, doesn't matter. Customer effort had kind of looked at the idea of like, hey, how do we reduce friction? How do we how do we reduce effort that it takes for people to find? Because that's that's where a lot of frustration comes into. So, being really targeted on the survey, um, and maybe it is things like customer effort score or or just again one to three question surveys on like really focused initiatives. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think that's a yeah, great idea. About, so I've never been in retail, but so would it ever? Do you ever? Obviously, sales is important, but what about? Do you guys track uh, repeat business, repeat customers? That would clearly say that something's going well.
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, the beautiful thing is you don't need a survey for that, right? But I'm absolutely looking at, uh, first off, are repeat customers a good thing or a bad thing?
3: Yeah. Well, what's the answer?
1: It depends on my business. I say yes. It depends on my business, right? If I'm a technical support organization, I don't want to repeat contacts. In fact, there's an entire movement around one call resolution or next issue avoidance, which is saying, like, how do I prevent you from ever having to contact me again? Yeah. So that, that's one thing. But, you know, customer loyalty, growing customer value, like, all yeah. of those things absolutely. Mm-hmm. Spend per customer, like, that's that's all stuff that can be measured.
0: Well, and the nice, the one thing that, and I, I see it in Leith HR Group, I see it in Vanica, two, two way different companies, right? Right. Um, it's way easier to sell more to a customer you've served before than it is to acquire a new customer. customer. Um, And so looking without surveying at things like um, customer retention rates and having very high customer retention rates um, or that net revenue retention rate was a new concept for me at Vantica, um, which is something very common in the software world. It's like, okay, you subscribe to my software, but now you're just consuming more of it whether through new user licenses or i'm developing a new features and, new and products and you're mm-hmm. buying them because yeah. you like me and you like my brand and you like what you're using already so um yeah those are two interesting stats to always be looking at as well um for the record we'd love to have any leaf hr group clients back <laughs> and we do and Leaf hr has a ton of repeat clients yeah. which is yeah. Yeah. in our case great we do. we do yeah
1: yeah i'll tell you a really quick story kind of to get to your point of your question and then maybe kind of put a bow on some of this idea. So, a couple years ago I was talking to a buddy who ran customer technical support for a drone company. Any idea, number one reason why people called the drone company?
3: They were in the trees. Drones crashed.
1: Fly away, right? Fly up, away. Up, up and away <laughs> They goes. were in the trees. <laughs> Crash. What, what is he, their obligation to, to you up. when that happens?
2: Um, I don't know much about drones. Too bad,
1: so sad, <laughs> wanna buy a new one. Yeah. Oh, really? That's a zero obligation. He was in a meeting with another part of the organization. They said, Well, the hey, drone
2: just flew away? It's gone. It's just was gone. Was it user air?
1: It, it, always, <laughs> no one knows. Always. But he knew that. He knew that. His team, yeah. his contact center and customer experience and technical team knew that. He believed everybody else in the organization did until he was in a meeting where somebody said, hey, consumables are down. Think batteries, blades, whatnot. They're like, why, why is this the case? He laughed and he's like, it's, it's because people never actually get to fly. Like.'" They get the drone and it's gone before they they need new stuff. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is the number one reason why people contact us. He ended up working with marketing, with the product development team to change the packaging, to change the education they had around that. Over six months, they saw a 50% reduction in people calling with flyaway drones. Not only that, people were promoting it, they were spending more, they were buying more. They saw this bi-directional shift in the Cost of serving people who didn't like couldn't be customers anymore, and now growth in revenue. When I think about the opportunity around data and surveying, I'm like, are you having a p- impact? Like, how do you connect CX to like broader business things? It's like doing things like he did, right? And just being curious and willing to say, hey, we we see what's happening for our customers every single day. How do we leverage that information to not just improve our customers, but the business that we serve? And I think we find employees that are wired with that curiosity and desire to help. If we put the right process into place like really really cool things can happen yeah
0: Yeah, totally listen to your employees yeah well also it's getting the fundamental understanding of why are why do you have these tickets why do you have this volume of tickets and if you can cut the tickets in half so these people can focus on fun things proactive relationships versus reactive responses to tickets and support needs that that can be fun um So yeah, I think anybody that has a customer support team should go back and number one, make sure their folks have the right tools, the right resources, the right training to do their job and know more than their user that's logging the tickets and asking for help. Um, And then number two, like figure out the root cause on why you're getting the same tickets over and over and over again, because doing that is mundane and that's a great way to lose employees is like making them do the same shit over and over.
1: <laughs> and then three, do something about it. Yeah, do something about it. Once you exactly. know, like, yeah, what you is yeah? Yeah, to the
3: analytics and be like, oh no, yeah. no, it's like stop and
1: yeah. Inertia. That's it. Like people right. just accept the status quo, and that to me is the, the real challenge here. Like, what we understand, like, once you've identified, like, what is the real cost of not doing something about it?
0: Yeah. High, probably high.
1: It is. Hey,
0: sure. do you want to answer a write-in, an audience write-in? Sure. No. Okay. We, oh, have our, we have time for, for one. We have time for one. This is fun because I invite every one of our guests out for happy hour after HR News. Oh, night yeah, that's so a good we'll talk one. I wanted show. to talk about that. Okay, good. Because you love skipping company I events. do. I love skipping company <laughs> All right. So listen, this question is um, Is it okay to skip company events? I declined an invite to a goodbye lunch. I'm not close to that particular coworker. Which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) It's like, I'm not going to go to happy hour. Yeah. And I often don't attend company happy hours or other events planned outside. Did you submit this question? No, I didn't. didn't. I'm confident in saying I don't want to hang out with you outside of work. Oh, man. My manager's not concerned if I don't go to these events and I don't want to spend my limited free time or money with work-related things. I just want to go to work so my job, do my job and go home and live my life but I'm concerned about the perception of impacting a future promotion, et cetera. Justin, what do you think?
1: Um, I I think that's like, there's a bigger issue at play there. Right. That's, that's like, that's, that's telling me that there's either a bigger cultural problem inside of the organization, or if I was that person and like, that's how I feel like, is this really the, is this really the place for me? Because I believe that you should, you feel obligated. No, but if, you're not going to most of the events yeah. and like it's because you and the thing that stood out to me is like I just want to show up do my job and leave yeah that's the like <laughs> it, to flag, me. It's not flag. about the happy hour part it's like if that's that's your view on things like we spend more time with the people that we work with than our family and friends so it's like I get the wanting to be home but like there has to for me and the hope of humanity like I right. want there to be something more
2: well, I, I think, I mean, obviously, I sometimes go to things. I'll throw a bone to every, like, third or fourth thing because I can't never go to anything, right? You're
0: coming to Healthcare Heroes tomorrow. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm you coming
0: because <laughs> um, I
2: missed the last one, so I'm like, I can't say no again. Uh,
0: see? See? You but, feel obligated. I
2: know. I feel obligated. But don't you have fun when you come? Well, it depends how many cocktails are served. We'll see. But, no, I mean, I'm of the sense of, like, A – If your employees feel like this, then we need to say, well, how many of these events are there? Is it fatigue? And how much are we really asking employees to hang out with coworkers where they do already spend the majority of their time with these people in the workplace? So maybe they don't want to do that after work. And I think that that's okay. I also think it probably depends like. Well, what job are you in, right? Mm-hmm. Do you need to put your game face on and suck it up and deal with it? You're, you're a, a leader. Role? You yeah, go. sure. Mm-hmm. Are we paying you 25 bucks an hour to do administrative work? Then you know what? You should feel like I'm coming to work, getting a paycheck. I'm doing, as long as I'm doing really good at my job, then you really shouldn't feel obligated to come to the happy hour afterwards. So I think it, there's nuances there for sure. But personally I do think people spend a lot of time at work and if they prefer to go home after five o'clock when they're done with their work day and live their life because they want to go to the gym and they want to get to bed early and they have a routine or maybe they have kids and dogs and spouses at home that they have different pressures. You know, I I have a couple of organizations where I hear that from a lot of the employees because we do have a monthly kind of event and a couple other things here and there. And there's quite a few people that don't love the after-hour stuff, and they feel like, ugh, people look down on me because I never come to this stuff, but, like, I got to get home. So I don't know. I'm, like, on the fence about it a little bit, and I also came from an organization where, like, we didn't do any of that stuff, so I never had to worry about it. (laughs) we kept work at work and personal life at personal, personal life, life yeah personal we were very separated with some that some
3: of the groups that i work with have a lot of social time a lot it. and they're all but they're all kind of they're all kind of pals they all pal mm-hmm. around and i wonder sometimes if i worked there as a true employee i wonder if i would want to go to all those things yeah sometimes people are like i got yeah.
2: stuff to do i can't. i do have an organization i work out a lot where they they do a decent amount of like lunches and like different things and there are some people who are like i have stuff i have to get this stuff done because if i don't then i have to stay here for two extra hours We're like i don't have time to go to that like all women's lunch at but two I o'clock you, you go to the
3: happy hour so they're out. actually <laughs> like, yeah some of them are like you're your i'm drinks.
2: super dedicated meaning i need to get the work done before i go to lunch with everybody so
0: i don't know i'm like i could go either way on it I but i
2: am coming to the
0: event tomorrow there beautiful you go. All right, hey we're out of time on uh, <laughs> this note strange. you'll never see amy on hr nightmares again um, <laughs> i'm leaving the organization <laughs> too much um, demand on social function that's right um thanks everybody for tuning in justin this was awesome thank, thank you, you. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can yeah, talk we to you, you forever about this Yeah, um, it's really interesting it, it is super interesting and love your dynamic personality it's awesome you're a great guest Um, Tune in on uh, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to have you subscribe so you get notified every time we have a new episode. Um, Thanks again. And if you need an HR expert to supplement your team or help your team out, make sure you call Leith HR Group. We appreciate you. See you next time.